So, <laughs> it has been a week. You know, we started off this new year and, uh, you know, me like anyone else, uh, I, I had, I, I did have a little bit of time off from, uh, my work and, uh, everything was scheduled to go back to work on, on January 3rd, Monday, January 3rd. And, and I got to work and, uh, you know, uh, about 15 minutes before, uh, the clients were going to come in, uh, the, 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 uh, all of the, uh, you know, the faculty, they got together and, uh, they had a quick meeting and then I was informed, uh, at about quarter to nine on Monday morning that do not return back to work <laughs> for the rest of the week. Uh, they had, uh, you know, given, uh, employees, uh, tests to take home over the break and, uh, an extended number of people came back with uh, positive tests. And so, uh, that, and for the safety of our clients, cause many of them, uh, you know, have, uh, fine motor skill, uh, issues or challenge in that way. And so, you know, washing hands, basic hygiene is a challenge for them. They decided uh, the best bet is to go virtual. So, uh, as of Monday, I've been, you know, for work, I've been at home, on zoom because that's kind of where we're at and uh i gotta go in on tomorrow and everyone has to get tested and if uh the test results are favorable then we will go back to work on thursday but that's you know to be seen so i'm praying that uh you know that it works out and that we can get back on campus but i think uh you know this this whole uh, new strand has affected everyone in, in in some kind of way so we're definitely praying for all of those that are uh, not here this morning. If, if they are uh, sick, if they're not well, uh, we just pray that uh, the Lord have favor on them and that they would uh, be able to be healed quickly and that, uh, you know, uh, this sickness wouldn't damper what's going on, what the Lord is doing in their lives. But in any event, uh, again, you know, this is where we find ourselves. And I think the challenging thing as the church is to remember to just keep our focus on the Lord. And, uh, the most important thing that I was reminded of yesterday was it's not a numbers game. <laughs> it really isn't. It's, it's truly about what is our motivation behind what we do. And if we serve the Lord with the motivation of wanting to see souls saved and people changed and, and their lives redefined in Jesus and we do it with vigor and we do it wholeheartedly, then that is, uh, that is what the Lord is after. Remember, the scriptures say... <laughs> Uh, he has 99 sheep that are saved, but if one repents and turns to him, that he will leave the 99, meaning he will you know, go seek after that one that's lost to bring that one into the fold. And so we see just a beautiful picture in that scripture of the fact that Jesus considers just one person so precious, one soul so precious that he would seek after that lost person to bring them into the fold and so when we look at that in the bigger picture of our lives um, I'm encouraged I'm super encouraged because it's all about that one person and even if that one person is only you <laughs> the Lord is is seeking to to have a, a deep relationship with you amen all right uh, today we're gonna be in Revelation chapter 3 verses 18 down to 22. This is uh, the second half of the letter to the church of Laodicea. Uh, though there are only a few of us here, uh, if you get there, when you get there, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, and then we will go ahead and pray and we'll get into our message. Oh, I'm just uh, very uh, excited, convicted, moved by this uh, this portion of scripture, and I think it's just very pertinent for 
uh, where the church is today, I think it totally is applicable to where we're at as a church um, worldwide. All right, Revelation chapter 3, verses 18 down through 22. And it says, and this is Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes and that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for uh, just this, this portion of Scripture, Lord, that just illustrates how deeply you love people, uh, especially your church. Lord, your desire is that we live in correction and when we're not in right standing with you, you show us ways that we can get right with you and you show us what the benefits are of living for you and serving you and lord we we desire that uh we be those that would have our hearts in the refiner's fire so we could come out uh looking more like you uh, in the moral image of you and the way we live and that we would be moved with compassion for people and that we would be burdened for the things that burden your heart Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, in such a clear way this morning that there would be no question that the scriptures are uh, wooing us to to do what you're calling us to do. And that the only way that that can be done is if we live a lifestyle of repentance, if we live a lifestyle of obedience dedicated to you, and that we have just the hope of the glorious reward to be able to be with you and to... uh, (laughs) As, as your word says, uh, to, to share, uh, share a place with you in heaven. Lord, how, uh, how great is that, that you call sinners to be able to do that? Lord, so Father, we just thank you for your never-ending love for us, Lord. You're so determined uh, for us, Lord, that you gave your only Son. May we see that and may it move us to submit our lives before you and to live the rest of our lives out in service to you. So Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Like I said, we're wrapping up uh, part two of this letter to the church of Laodicea and actually uh, chapter three of the book of Revelation. So um, it's pretty cool that we're actually going through this book. Uh, If you remember when we first started, uh, the scriptures talk about uh, the ones who uh, teach and the ones who hear this and apply these scriptures to their hearts are are blessed. And, 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 you know, if you're like any true believer, you want to be blessed. And so that's, and praise God that he's, he's given us this time up to this point to be able to go through this book and be blessed by the rich teachings and the rich uh, truths that are found in the book of Revelation. The Lord revealing himself in, in a manner that is, uh, again, pertinent, pertinent to our time and our position in society today. 
uh, in 2022. Uh, this book is as relevant as ever. Uh, we, we left off last week with Jesus Christ describing the spiritual state of the Christians in the church of Laodicea. They were wretched. They were pitiable. <laughs> they were poor. They were blind and they were naked. Oh man, that's, that's, that's a challenging statement. Um, that's just a lot going on there. And, and it, it really does cut to the heart when you hear those words for what they are. When you hear that statement, it's very heavy. But we, we need to again see that the Lord's great mercy was, were in those statements and his love because he was trying to counsel his church. He was trying to speak to the heart of the matter and he, he pulled no punches. He had to be as real as real could be with them to get them to understand their spiritual state. Jesus will detail in these scriptures this morning exactly how he alone is the remedy for any spiritual problem that we may face. He alone is the remedy. He is the answer. He is the key to uh, unlocking, if you will, peace in our spiritual lives where, where uh, problems of disobedience and things that arise from disobedience, they can be eradicated by allowing Jesus Christ to truly reign in our hearts. Not only that, but he also will explain why the discipline has to come to his church, why discipline must be administered to believers in Christ. Uh, he goes on to give a personal invitation to anyone who will listen and turn to him and repent. Lastly, Jesus Christ reveals what privileges await the believer who truly humble themselves and will submit to his rule and authority? That's, that's, that's super encouraging. Again, that's, uh, that's what we're looking forward to, right? I mean, you look in this life, you look in the state of affairs of the world and society, and it's easy to get bogged down by all of the negativity, whether it's in politics, whether it's in race relations, whether it's in the economy, whether it's in, you know, just things going on in the school system and, and entertainment and all these different facets of life. There's just so much negativity going on. And it seems like the media outlets love to promote all of the negativity. But the hope is that one day, <laughs> You know, when we pass from this life to the next and pass through that chasm, uh, we will be in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and peace and love and goodness and all the things that are lacking truly in this life will be fully restored and uh, there will be peace forever. And so we, we cling to that hope. We cling to that hope. As we go through this message, I encourage and I challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you directly about whatever He wants you and I to submit to Him. Amen? I truly believe that as we look, even though we look in the correct context of Scripture, I believe truly that even though these words were written uh, you know, a long time ago, they apply to us today. They are living and active and they can make such a difference in our lives if we allow Him to speak to our hearts. Okay, we have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. True love, true love is not simply pointing out someone's faults, but it also provides a remedy for their problems. That's, that's true love. 
You see, we live in a world and we live in a society of finger pointers, finger pointing. You see, every day people are quick to point out someone else's issues, quick to point them out, uh, quick to say what's wrong in the world, what's wrong in society. But very few have any solutions for the problem. And the few that offer solutions, the majority of their fixes are temporary at best. It's like a Band-Aid on an open wound. (laughs) The blood is still gushing. The Band-Aid is not really taking care of anything at all. It's just window dressing at best. Uh, A quick example, again, and and I talk about this a lot, but I I just, uh, unfortunately, I I see it a lot. Just the, the racial tension in our country, you know, the racial tension in our country. You see, many are pointing fingers, but very few have any worthy solutions about how to uh, eradicate these, these relations between different races of people to make people see that, man, you know, we're all human beings and we all should uh, treat one another in that manner. And, uh, you, know, you know, marching and, and protesting and all these things, they don't, they don't, solve, the, they don't solve anything right? All of these solutions that are given, it's very rare to hear someone mention that the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. It's not, it's not gallivanting and, and looting and rioting. It's not getting so aggravated and yelling and, and, and accusing other people uh, and, and, and holding grudges from you know, hundreds of years back. That's not that's not going to benefit anyone, but it's very rare to hear someone when engaged in, well, what is the answer to race relations in America? That someone actually says Jesus is the answer. It's, it's, very, it's very disheartening to me. I, I, I feel like I almost have to go back to Martin Luther King. <laughs> it's like the last person that was a public figure that actually interjected Christ into the conversation. And that was very daring for him because being in that, in that kind of position, uh, again, you know, people of political stature don't want to bring uh, spirituality into the picture or it should be prominent but it's not and, and we see that we see this today and unfortunately because those who have influence or those who are who are bringing up solutions fail to bring up Jesus Christ the merry-go-round just continues to revolve and we find ourselves in the same position year after year over and over uh and it's, it's, again, if we don't have our focus on Christ, it can become very disheartening. But I believe this is exactly why Jesus dropped this bomb on uh, the people back, way back when, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. He, he said clearly, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You see, if we would take the time to analyze what's going on within our own lives and our own hearts that would help us to alleviate a lot of this tension going on with us and other people but you see this is where jesus christ is completely different this is where he separates himself from the rest of humanity because he loves us enough to point out the problems, but he loves us equally enough to provide a lasting solution. I mean, that's the whole purpose of him coming to the earth and living a perfect life and allowing himself to die upon a cross for the sins of the world. He truly does provide a lasting solution. 
You see, if any person would humble themselves, admit their fault, and seek his hand to restore and guide them, they would have true direction and purpose for their lives. That's how it works. If, if we're willing to humble ourselves and admit that we cannot direct our paths rightly, that no matter how much we earn or how much we obtain in this life, we still are bankrupt. When we lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus Christ and admit we need his help, then we will truly be restored and we'll have real direction. So many people are searching for direction. They want to know, what kind of career should I go into? What school should I go to? Uh, you know, where should I, where should me and my family move? What should we be doing? Well, when we humble ourselves before God, he'll give us our purpose. He'll give us direction. Again, the word says he is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But we have to be willing to cry out to him and reach out to him. And again, humility is such a big thing. I mean, we look at our Savior. He humbled himself. He came to earth in the form of a baby. I can't, I can't even, I can't fathom God allowing himself to take on the form of a human being and yet he didn't come as a strapping warrior with big old bulging biceps like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Conan, you know, wailing a, 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 a big weapon. But he came in the humble meekness of a gentle baby and, 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 and he lived a perfect life. And that, that's, again, another, another description of how his ways are totally contrary to our ways. But his ways are best and his ways are right. And so finding ourselves seeking him, humbling ourselves you're going to find true purpose and direction for your life. Amen. And the second main point is this. The Lord's discipline and correction is bound up in love. Right? His discipline and correction is bound up in love. Many of us have experienced as a child or an adolescent, uh, we'd ask the question, oh, why are my parents always correcting me? Why are they always nagging me? Why are they always telling me what to do? Well, as irritating as it is to be corrected time and time again, any parent worth their salt does so because they deeply love their children. Isn't that correct? That's why they go to the extent of explaining and, and reprimanding and doing these things because their genuine hope is that they could correct their children and that they could set them on the right path. Well, if you think about that, how much more is that the case with our heavenly father? How much more does our heavenly father love us so much that he sees us? You know, it's funny when you're in an airplane, I don't, you know, I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane and you've looked out the window and you've just been like, man, everything's so tiny. <laughs> you see the cars on 101 and they're so small or 87, the airport's over there. And, and to just think how even smaller uh, a person is in that car when you're high up and, and how much greater is God where he's so high up and he's so he's out of this atmosphere and out of space and time. And he sees our our little fragile world. But yet he has so much care and concern and he sees people. He sees us destroying our in our, our lives. And he's like, I need to step in because I don't want to see you destroy your life. I don't want to see you go down that wrong path. You see, many times we are joyless in our Christian walk because we simply live in disobedience and we don't like to be corrected or called out on it. But God loves us and desires a genuine, deep, intimate relationship 
with us. But he's also holy. (laughs) He's also holy, meaning he's set apart, right? So if we're constantly doing foul things, if we're watching foul things on television or constantly going places we aren't supposed to be going or we're talking about things that we're not supposed to be talking about, we're not going to have any joy because that relationship is now hindered because there's blockage. And that blockage is better known as sin. And so sin has to be eradicated in order for us to be clean vessels and and, and to enjoy an unhindered relationship with him. Not, not that we have to be cleaned up before we come to God, but once we are saved, as in context with the church of Laodicea, this is what happened. They were saved, but they were lukewarm. They allowed themselves to get to a state where they were not partial to either or. They were just kind of there. They were just living. But they were not living with the joy of the Lord. You see, our disobedience hinders the level of enjoyment we can have in the Lord. But when we are willing to be corrected by God, we will truly see the reasons for why he corrects us. And we're going to be okay with that. And we're going to allow the Lord to come in and do the work that only he can do within our hearts. We will be filled with gratitude and he will in turn give us the power to live a life for him giving all glory to him. Amen? That's, this is an amazing thing. You see, I understand this only because the Lord allows me to, but I, I see my pitiful state, <laughs> if you will. And I'm like, I can't do the things that you're calling me to do, Lord. But in him allowing me to humble myself and going before him and asking him for wisdom, for guidance, for direction, he in his Greatness gives me the supernatural power to do the things that he's calling me to do. He, he will give you the strength. He will give you the intellect. He will give you the wisdom to do whatever it is he calls you to do. This is a side note, but it's very, it's interesting to me. You know, when the presence of God is upon your life, other people take notice. So um, I was leaving uh, on Monday and, uh, you know, a buddy of mine that I work with, We were all going to uh, the parking lot at the same time. There were several of us. There was a couple other uh, uh, co-workers as well. And he must have forgot something at work or or on the campus. And he he cursed, you know. And he said, oh, (laughs) he said, I'm sorry, you're a Christian. And, and, you know, I I didn't really think about it too much. But my knee-jerk reaction was, I'm not tripping. (laughs) I'm not tripping. Like, that's on you if you're cursing. But it was just interesting to me because just the presence of knowing that I'm a Christian, that I'm a real Christian, and the Holy Spirit convicted him, <laughs> convicted him of, 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 of cursing. And, but that is, again, that's a, that's, a, that's a testament of the power that lives within us when we live in obedience to the Lord and we're truly uh, set apart for, for his bidding, not for Satan's bidding, but for the Holy Spirit, for God's bidding, for God's will to be done in our lives, that you know, just the mere presence of the Holy Spirit in your life can affect other people around you. Amen. All right. The third main point is this. The faithful believer will be welcomed to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. And again, this this whole idea, it could never get old. You know, I, I pray this every day in my own life that it never gets old, that I never get to a point where I'm just like all humdrum about it, that I'm not excited, that I'm not on fire for the fact that Man, my my eternal hope is that I'm going to rest in Christ forever. 
you know, and, and that this life even now doesn't have to be bad. It, it can, there can be joyous things in this life despite all the negativity around you. You can walk in joy and peace despite all of the difficult circumstances of this life. Jesus makes another extremely bold statement in this portion of Scripture. He tells the believers in Laodicea that if they conquer, basically conquer their, uh, you know, their, their disobedience through humility and submission and repentance to Jesus Christ, that they will be granted to be able to sit with him on his throne. <laughs> I mean, what? How, how is that even possible? Believers that are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, he's telling, he's just flat out saying, man, you guys really don't have anything good going on. Aside from the fact that you're claiming to be followers of me. But yet he says, if you repent, and if you turn from your wicked ways, and if you turn to me, and and speaking of Jesus Christ, and allow him to come in and do the work in your heart that only he could do, he's saying, you'll be able to sit with me on my throne in heaven. This is mind-blowing to even consider being led into heaven, let alone being invited into the holy of holies with the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the invitation given to any who would truly endure to the end. You see, that's what, is, that's what this is about. You know, Paul talked about it, running the race, right? You and I, we are running the race. And in the race, many things happen. You know, the, the old... Uh, the old uh, uh, cartoon the what is it the the hare and the tortoise right there was all kind of things that went on in that race it wasn't just wham bam and that was it there were many twists and turns and 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 the hare thought he had it you know in the bag and he went and slept and what did the tortoise do slow and steady slow and steady slow and steady you know you and i today that's that's endure to the end slow and steady day in day out Allowing the Lord to develop in you a lifestyle of trusting him, seeking him, loving him, being moved with compassion to to see other people and to, to, to be engaged in their lives. That's all part of enduring to the end. It's not just merely saying I profess Jesus Christ and I go about my way and nothing changes. No, I need to, you need to endure to the end. Many times all we can do or what we're commanded to do is simply stand upon the rock of Jesus, right? Many times the Israelites were told to just stand. He didn't say move. He didn't say go. He said stand. Stand firm upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is what we need. This is what will preserve the church, the true remnant church, from falling apart, from falling away, into apostasy, into, again, as I shared that statistic last, last week, it was very still disheartening to me that over 60% of believers in a generation from 18 to 39 believe that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven, but they profess to be Christians. They're not enduring to the end. They're not standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ. We need to be girded in truth, as the Bible says, and stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ. You see, this is... Grace and mercy, truly, getting what we don't deserve and the Lord refraining from giving us what we do deserve. And you and I receive that if we, again, truly humble ourselves and repent and allow him to come in and do that work in our lives and in our hearts. All right, 
Let's go ahead and begin to break down these verses. So uh, going back to verse 18 in Revelation, verse 3, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salive, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, to anoint your eyes so that you may see, or uh, ointment to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Okay, this first portion of this statement in this scripture, he says, I counsel you to buy from me. You see, the change in the Laodiceans had to begin with their understanding of their own spiritual poverty. A sober, true assessment of their lives had to be looked at. They had to be honest with themselves. And how difficult for some of us today to do that. Many people want to project, or in a sense, we all project a persona of how we want to be seen. But that persona may not necessarily be true. And we have to be willing to be honest with ourselves of way where we are truly at with the Lord. As long as they remain dishonest with themselves, they would remain in a state of spiritual brokenness. As long as they said, I just don't want to see it. <laughs> if, I, if I turn my eyes to it, if I close my eyes to it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't affect me. But that is, that's a lie. We know that when the eyes open up or we turn back around, those problems are still there. And so we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be honest with where we're at. Honesty is such a big deal. And that's integrity is being honest. When we're honest, we're not always right. And we have to be willing to say, you know, what? I'm wrong in this area and I, I need help. I need to be forgiven. I need to be corrected. I need to be put on the right path. And the Lord will do it. The application is simply this. As long as we believe that we can meet the need of our lives for wealth, clothing or sight ourselves being self-sufficient. Right. We can never receive them from Jesus Christ. It'll just be us working hard to earn a living, working hard to do this, working hard to do that. But but the the power of the Holy Spirit won't be upon us in the sense of that anointing if we're if we're refusing to seek the Lord for these things. If we're doing it ourselves and we're mustering up our own strength, it can't be done. You see, we must seek these things from Jesus instead of relying on them ourselves. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. Man, that's, I mean, he says he's going to supply every need of yours, every need of mine in the riches and the glory of Christ Jesus. Now, see, people need to understand <laughs> riches and glory in Christ doesn't necessarily mean monetary riches, <laughs> It, it, what it means is you're going to get the wisdom you need to make right decisions. So you stay on the right path. So you don't divert and think the grass is greener on the other side. Oh, this is better. Well, just because it looks better doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Now, monetary things may fall in line with that, but that's not the whole point. The point is he's going to supply everything you truly need. You see, I know my problem <laughs> is many times I can confuse, or not even confuse, I'm fully aware of it, but I desire the things I want so strongly that I neglect the things I need. And it's clear that 
He will supply what we need. We have to be able to have a a healthy self-assessment of ourselves and say, what do I really need and what do I want? Can I live without this? Can I push that aside? You see, that's where people get into all kind of trouble because the urge and the desire for what they want is so strong (laughs) that they don't quench it because they're not seeking after the Lord. They're seeking after things or people or whatever it is that they want. And that carnal urge is so strong that they negate what they need. They need salvation. They need to be spiritually manicured and cleaned up and made right. Those are things we need. All the other stuff, we can live without. Relying upon Jesus Christ to supply all your needs is a great lesson in contentment. Can I live content with Christ? You see, many Christians can't do that. They can live content with Christ if he's giving them the things they want, treating him like a genie in the bottle. As long as the Lord's supplying me with the house I want, the home I want, the wife I want, (laughs) the job I want, the friends I want, the prestige I want, then I'm content in him. Look at Paul. (laughs) In prison shipwrecked you know if any i heard a message this morning the pastor said if any man uh had the right to complain and throw in the towel and say enough is enough it would have been paul paul went through so much but because he understood his position in christ and what had been done for him he's like no i have no reason to complain I'm I'm humbled by the fact that the Lord would allow me to be used in this way. And and I'm grateful. And he says, I I bring bring it on. (laughs) Because when I'm weak, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. All the more that I uh, admit that I'm weak, I'm stronger in Christ Jesus. Amen. And and that's that's Paul. And and we want to be servants of the Lord in that same manner. You see... When we understand this whole idea of we, our need for Christ to supply our needs, when we understand this and experience this over and over again in a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus Christ, we actually become less greedy. <laughs> and we become more giving. And we become more, and it's not just monetary things, but we become more giving of our, of our time. Or we become more giving of being more understanding and, and, and not so harsh with people because we understand what's been done for us because he's providing our needs. Matthew chapter 6 verse 32 says, For the Gentiles strive after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You see, the Gentiles strive. Basically, he's saying people are striving after these things. But the Lord knows what you need. And and he's going to supply according to his uh, his timetable what it is that you need. You see, as believers, we don't need to strive after stuff. But if we are obedient to God and what we are desiring will actually honor and glorify him, then in his timing, he will grant us whatever these things are. But see, that's again the thing. You know, what are we desiring? Is it going to honor God? I mean, you know, I was talking to Sal this morning, and, 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 I, and I love how he, he just has a heart for the Lord. The Lord is working in his life in a way where it's, he just, his desire is just to, to see people's lives changed by the gospel. And it's like, what is our desire? You know, is your desire for the house on the hill? Is your desire to have enough 
an over an abundance of money to retire? What is your desire? You know, what is my desire? Is my desire to just serve Lord the Lord and see people's lives changed and see sin eradicated in their lives? You see, if we have hearts like that, that are seeking after the Lord's will, then he's going to provide everything that you and I need, our desires. But it's like, again, are our desires in line? And many people's, many Christians' desires are not in line with what God would have for them. They're just after stuff. They're after things. They're after experiences. And it's not what it's about. It's about, Lord, I want to do your will. We sing about it. We hear songs about it. But do we really seek the Lord and say, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life? Man, that's so powerful. You want peace? <laughs> you want real peace? You want to be able to, 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 to be able to live a life that cuts through the chaos of this life? Ask the Lord for his will to be done in your life. And I guarantee you that you're going to be able to do that. He says, buy from me gold refined in the fire. You see, if they received from Jesus Christ his riches, his gold, beautifully refined in the fire, then they would be rich. You see, this is far beyond any riches of this life. The Bible speaks about the streets of heaven are paved in gold. Now, we as humans, we value these precious metals, right? We make rings and you know jewelry and stuff out of them. The Lord uses them as concrete. <laughs> people, people are going to walk on this you know so how much more how much how much more valuable is gold refined in his fire given to us that's true riches and it's not even it's not even necessarily the physical aspect of it that makes it valuable but it's the fact that it's gone through the testings of the lord it's gone through the trials of life and it's come out unscathed, purified, pure. That's what makes you rich. Again, this whole idea of holding on until the end, enduring, right? How much more wiser are or should be many older people than younger generations because they've lived 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. You should be super wise <laughs> because you've been through the refiner's fire you're rich in wisdom so you can impart that to younger people who are just on tiktok all the time (laughs) and don't know what to do with their lives right because you have that wisdom he goes on to say white garments that you could buy from me that you may be clothed you see if they receive from jesus the pure righteous covering he gives then they would be clothed and no longer would the shame of their nakedness be revealed The merchants of Laodicea were famous for this glossy black wool um, that they used to make beautiful garments. Jesus says, basically, I know the beautiful black garments that the world can clothe you in, but I have white garments that you may be clothed. And I think this is a beautiful picture because it reminded me of Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall, right? They were ashamed. (laughs) They They were naked. They tried to hide their, you know, their privacy areas with fig leaves. And what did the Lord do? The Lord killed and sacrificed an animal, gave them coverings and sent them on their way. That was actually a prototype of Christ, seeing that the blood having to be shed and them being covered, right? 
The blood of Christ being shed, us being covered by the blood of Christ, it's a beautiful thing. But he, if we buy from him, we'll, we'll get these garments of white and we'll be covered. And the nakedness and the shame will be gone because we'll be covered with what he gives us and not with what the world gives. Anoint yourself with this eye ointment uh, if we get it from Jesus Christ. If they receive from Jesus the healing for their spiritual sight, then they would truly be able to see. You see, true vision, spiritual discernment comes from Christ alone. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, able to see right from wrong, able to see I shouldn't be doing this. I was, uh, what was I doing the other day? Um, I was started watching an episode on Netflix. Uh, there's a show, 60 Days In. And basically, they, they, they have these people where, okay, uh, these prisons are, are very bad. And they get people to, to go undercover to try to infiltrate what's going on so they could try to clean up things. Well, I watched the first series, you know, a couple of years ago, me and my wife. And, and it, 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 was, it was good. We enjoyed it, entertainment purposes. It was, you know, little stuff was kind of wild, but it wasn't nothing crazy. But this one, oh, man. It was not good. It was bad. And my wife had told me, because she must have had watched it, you know, a while ago. I, I, I don't know. I didn't watch it. But she said, you know what? There's some demonic stuff on there. She said, some of these prisoners, they're possessed straight up. And I watched the first episode. It was just an introduction. And, you know, with these kind of things, they show you the preview at the end of the first episode, right? Then. <laughs> and one of the ladies that went undercover, she was a Christian. And she straight up said, there is a demonic presence in here that is not good. And they show a clip and there's this one and one prisoner because there, there's there's men inmates and female inmates. Right. And one of the female inmates says, I had a dream last night and I had sex with a demon. And I and immediately the Holy Spirit showed me, you better turn that off. I don't need to watch that. I don't need to see that. But it's you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this all back to discernment because even as I was watching the show and, you know, we, we pray that God's mercy fall on people that are locked up in prison. Right. I get it. People are in for different crimes, whatever. But people need to be restored. People need to be restored and need to be cleaned up. But you could just see. The eyes in some of these people is not there's not it's not Right. There's some kind of unclean spirit that is inhabiting these people and they're gone, they're gone off in this other world, locked up in this penitentiary and they're doing all kind of crazy stuff. But again, the whole point is discernment, having spiritual discernment, being able to discern this is correct. This is not correct. So, like I said, I won't be watching <laughs> the rest of that series. One episode was enough. The Lord's like, you do not need to be watching that. I'm like, I'm good. I'm not watching it. Buy from me. Buy from me. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. How can you and I buy things from Jesus? We don't earn them through our good works. Instead, it is through the genuine, consistent communication, communion with God that we have access to Jesus Christ, who gives to us freely all that we need. That's how we buy from him. It's not even buying in the sense of it's just he, we're receiving from him. We're on the receiving end if we're open to obtaining what he has for us. Okay, uh, verses 19 and 20. He says, Those who, uh, whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
Okay, so he goes on to say, as many as I love, whoever I love, I reprove and discipline. With such a sharp rebuke, had Jesus lost his love for his church? He, I mean, he had some harsh words to tell them. You are pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But no, not at all. He didn't lose his love for his church at all. Jesus' great love was actually expressed in his rebuke of his church. Remember, he had to rebuke Peter. What did he say? Satan, get behind me. Because Peter's like, you're not going to go to the cross. You're not gonna, they're not going to do you like that, Lord. I'm going to make sure of it. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Because he knew at that moment, Peter was being influenced by a demonic host. He's like, no, that's, you, you can't keep me from doing what is the will of my father. I have to go to the cross. And it's the same thing here with his church. They're in a state where they're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus has to rebuke them. It is, in fact, God's final punishment to leave man alone that is a really harsh rebuke and his final judgment. I mean, you think about it. Pharaoh, what happened? He gave Pharaoh so many chances. And Pharaoh kept going back and forth, teeter-tottering. Okay, I'll let your people go. No, I'm going after your people. I'll let your people go. No, I'm, uh, you know, back and forth they went. Even after his firstborn son died, that wasn't enough. And so the Lord said, okay, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you over to what you want to do. Because clearly you are not choosing to allow me to discipline you. Jesus went to great lengths to get a hold of this church because one, they claimed to be his followers and two, he gave his life for them. The application is this. Once we claim to give our lives over to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us, meaning that means he's with us daily. He's always pursuing us. He's always correcting us or he's always encouraging us and he's always rebuking us. This is this is what to expect when you're in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When your physical body now becomes the temple of the living God, you can expect that because that's what goes on. If you are a true follower of Christ, you can't shake off the promptings of God unless you flat out purpose in your heart to disobey. That's like when I was watching that show you know, I was content. I was chilling and, you know, kind of it was getting intense. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And the Lord's like, stop, just stop, because you don't know what you're about to let into your home by watching this stuff. You don't you know that demons exist. But why do you have to be entertained by it at the expense of people locked up in prison? So I said, you know what, Lord? Yes, you're correct. And I digress. <laughs> your ways are better than my ways. I'm not watching that. And that's it. That, that's that's it. We don't want to live in a way where we're not allowing the Lord to speak into our lives. He, he goes on to say, therefore, be zealous and repent. He commanded them to make a decision to repent and to continue in zeal. Turn your way, Jesus said. Don't look to your own riches. Turn his way. Turn my way. Speaking of Jesus Christ, don't look to your own riches and resources because they're really bankrupt. Turn around and look to me. That's what Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea back then and us today. This is what Jesus has been saying the whole time. This command applies to us. Hopefully we're truly listening. And we all know 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you and I, wishing that no one should, repent, uh, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's, that's, the, that's the heart of the Lord with his church. He's like, 
I see that you're wrong. I see that you're in a place of a wretched state, a miserable state, a poor, blind, and naked state. Just please repent. Repent before it's too late, you know? But you see, Jesus is warning us, but his patience will not last forever. Final righteous judgment will come, and by that time, it'll be too late to repent. And this is why it's so important for us as believers to make sure we're right with the Lord so that we can be used to warn others and encourage others before it's too late. Though Jesus detested their lukewarmness, he would rather them be hot with zeal rather than cold. I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'll share it real quick. He says, when you and I shall be stretched upon our dying beds, I think we shall have to regret above everything else our coldness of heart. Among the many sins, perhaps this will lie the heaviest upon our heart and conscience. I did not live as I ought to have done. I was not as earnest in my Lord's cause as I should have been. The application is simply this. We need to make our lives following after Jesus just that, a lifestyle of following after him, not just a hobby or an occasional activity. But this, you see, this goes beyond this, uh, the age of, of the spirit that we're living in. Because the spirit of the age we're living in says, do what you want to do now. Enjoy, have fun, entertain yourself. When the Lord says, seek me, seek my purpose for your life. And it's not about getting bound up in doing stuff and works, but it is about getting wrapped up in a relationship with Jesus and having him fulfill you in a way that none of these other things can. You can binge watch for 20 years and that will never fulfill you in a way that having a right relationship and being in right communion with Jesus Christ can. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus gave this lukewarm church the great invitation. He knocked at their door asking entry to come in and to dine with them in the sense of sharing warm, intimate time. But you see, it only happens when we respond to his knock. But the promise is made to all. If anyone hears my voice, the idea of Jesus at the door applies to the sinner and the saint just the same. Jesus wants to come into us and dine with us in the sense of having a deep, meaningful relationship. Again, standing at the door and knocking. Sadly, Jesus stood at the outside of this door and he knocked to get in. If the church of Philadelphia was the church with an open door, then Laodicea had the church of the, of the closed door, excluding Christ. This statement to many is a profound mystery. Why did Jesus stand outside the door? Why did Jesus knock? Why did he wait until someone opened the door to let him in? He had every right to break down the door and to enter in some other kind of way, maybe through a window, maybe through a roof. But he didn't do that. The sovereign, omnipotent Jesus lowered himself to work out his eternal plan by wooing and cooperation with the human heart. The application is this. Every single person must decide for themselves if they are going to open the door to their hearts. That is... Every person must repent of their pride, their self-sufficiency, their human wisdom. And they need to allow Christ to come in. Christ stands. He waits long at the door of a sinner's heart. He knocks. He uses judgments. 
mercies, reproofs, exhortations to induce sinners to repent and to turn to him. He lifts up his voice, calls loudly by his word, and he ministers to your spirit. This is a beautiful thing. This is what we need to take to heart. He says, I will come in. I will come into him. What a glorious promise. If we open the door, he's going to come in. He's not going to play doorbell ditch. (laughs) He's not going to ring the doorbell and run away. He's going to be there. He's going to come in. He promises to dine with the believer. You see, this was specifically known as supper. Supper was the main meal of the day when it was very leisurely and no one was in a hurry. It wasn't a snack. This speaks of fellowship. This speaks of a depth of relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This was a meal at which a man would talk for long times. For there was time and work had ended. And so it was, a, it was not a mere courtesy visit, but this was a time of very close fellowship. And this is Jesus Christ's desire for us today. His desire is to come in and to sit long with us and to wait as long as we wish him to stay. You see, Jesus will be with you and I as long as we allow him to be. But if we push him away and push him away and ignore him and say, I don't need you, I can do it on my own. Then at some point he may just say, you know what? I'm going to go to someone else. I'm going to go to someone else who's willing to have me to involve me in their lives, to allow me to sit on the throne of their hearts. And this is what we want. This is why David said, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's like, man, I want to dine with you all my life, Lord. I want to be, I want to be in your presence forever. I don't want you to take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, everything that he said to the Laodicean church up to this point must be seen in the light of his loving desire for fellowship. Once again, this whole idea of rebuking and chastisement was not Jesus rejecting them, but him actually correcting them to invite them in to be with him. Notice that he says this invitation to individuals. He didn't say, if the church, but anyone. You see, we must not talk about setting the church right. We must pray for the grace of each individual in the church. Because the text doesn't say if the church will open the door, but it says if any individual. The application is this. The church will only get right by each man or woman getting right themselves. That's how we see lasting change develop within the church. Every individual. I talked about it several weeks back. Every believer in the church should be a pillar. It shouldn't just be this person or that person. Every person has the ability to be a pillar and should be a pillar within the church. But it takes every person inviting Christ truly into their hearts and allowing him to do that work. Last portion of scripture, we'll be closing up now. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. You see, Jesus' promise to the, to the overcomer, even in Laodicea, showed that it, you don't have to be the Christian who is a compromising, lukewarm Christian. You can be changed and become an overcomer. The application is this. If you're still alive, if you have breath in your lungs today, there is hope. 
That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. He says, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne. Those who overcome the battle against compromise and indifference and self-reliance receive a special reward. They enjoy a place of enthronement with Jesus. They are allowed to sit on his throne with him. This is the worst of the seven churches in this portion of scripture in the book of Revelation. Yet this is the most prominent of all promises was given to them. This shows us that the worst sinner they could finally conquer and attain even the highest status of glory. I look at my own life. I went from running in the streets to now pastoring a church. How can that be? But it's only because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And lastly, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. You see, I spoke about this at the beginning of the message. Few want to identify themselves with the church of Laodicea. Because you have to be honest and be like, man, this is my state. I, I am not perfect. I fall into this area at times. But many would rather identify themselves with the Church of Philadelphia. Oh, there's nothing wrong with them. They, they, they get nothing but praise and, and adoration from the Lord. But he says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We must hear what the Holy Spirit says to us because he speaks to us. He speaks through his word. He's always trying to communicate to us. May God deliver us from a self-reliant attitude, compromising lukewarmness, and may we be those who truly identify with the corrective work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you again for your mercy and your grace. Lord, the fact that you always watch over us. Lord, you're constantly trying to speak to our hearts and trying to reveal to us your truth. May we be those that truly allow it to set in and may we be those that would act upon your promptings. May it not just be words that go in one ear and out the other, but may it go from our minds to our hearts to our feet. May we be those that get active for the purpose of bringing you honor and glory by loving others and speaking to a dying world. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.